So we're back on Abraham. Uh, four weeks ago, I finished talking up to about um, Genesis 15, because we're talking about the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace was formed by God before he made the world. So these three scriptures talk about things that God did before he made the world. He appointed his son, he appointed him to die, and he chose us. Which means God had this design of being gracious to people who he knew were going to be his rebels against him from before the beginning. And he progressively revealed some and then more and more and more and then more of that great covenant of grace to Adam, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David and the prophets and so on. He made covenants with some of those people. He revealed more of his covenant prophetically and so on to others. So we're going to pick up again in the life of Abraham as the Lord is calling him into covenant relationship with himself. Remember, God had made some promises to Abraham. I should have done that there. God had made some promises to Abraham. He had promised him a son. And he promised him a land, the land of Canaan, otherwise known as Palestine or Israel, a nation to be born from him, not directly, but you know, over generations, a whole nation to come from him, which is called, which was called Israel, and that he and his seed, his offspring, would be a blessing to the world. Now, when some people see the word blessing, they think it's written like that. They think of only money and wealth, but the blessing of Abraham and his seed to the world is far more valuable than gold. It is to spread the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the blessing to the nations. So let's go back to Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. His name was Abram then, which means exalted father. But then God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of a nation or father of many. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great ward. But Abraham replied, Lord, God, what can you give me since I remain childless and the heir of my house will be the, my, 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 my steward, Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, Behold, I've given, you've given, Abraham continued, you've given me no offspring, so a servant in my household will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, This one will not be your heir, but one who comes from your own body will be your heir. The Lord took him outside. And said, now look to the heavens and count the stars, if you're able. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And scripture famously says, and Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. But it goes straight on then to this extraordinary passage of scripture which tells us how God cut a covenant with Abraham. This was a way that covenants were made in those times, that to to people, usually somebody of authority, somebody, somebody who's a leader, a chief of a tribe, made covenant with someone else. They made a binding agreement, a most serious agreement. So 50, I'm going to read this through you. Genesis 15, 7. The Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees, otherwise known as Iraq, nowadays, to give you this land to possess. Abraham replied, Lord, how can I know that I'll possess it? He's just living in tents. He's a foreigner. He's a traveler. And the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, which is, of course, a cow, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abraham brought all these to him, split each of them down the middle and laid the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And the birds of prey descended on the carcasses. This was during the daytime. And Abraham drove them away. Then as the sun was setting, 
Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and suddenly a great terror and darkness overwhelmed him. And the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Now, let me just mention that this was happening to Abraham about 2,000 years before Jesus came. And there's a point sometime after his time when his descendants are going to be in, 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 enslaved for 400 years. But I will judge the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will, go, they will depart with many possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In fact, he died at age 175. In those days, people lived about twice the span that we do. We think that's because they, everything was slower. You know, they, they came to maturity slower. They, they, they came to, you know, ladies came to menopause later. You know, if you, if you double the age, that's when things happen for them. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had set, so biblically, Hebrew thinking, that's the next day. Abram spent all day watching these things, and now it's the next day. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, look, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the halves of the carcasses. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Something like a smoking, burning thing came towards Abram. Now that is the description of what later on Moses saw in the tabernacle. It's called the Shekinah. It's a, it, it's, it's a glowing, burning thing that represents the presence of God. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I've given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great Euphrates, to the land, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. You can tell I've been doing this a long time. This ritual was well known in the Middle East. A covenant agreement was still with a covenant solemn oath, but the most solemn binding covenant was also sealed by blood. The animals were slaughtered, carcasses cut in half, and the blood filled the space between them. So in the ground on which they were slaughtered before they were moved to the side, that ground was covered in blood. And two men walked barefoot on the blood between the divided carcasses, and they met and swore their covenant to one another. Some say they also embraced and exchanged things, but chiefly they walked through blood to make the covenant. And the, this is the point. The covenant makers are saying, may I become like one of these animals if I do not keep my word to you. The image is used in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah uh, rebukes the people for their the covenant unfaithfulness towards the Lord. Those who have transgressed my covenant have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made with me. I will treat like the calf they cut in two in order to pass between its pieces. But here's the thing. When God appeared to Abraham, Abraham didn't move. God walked all the way through the blood to meet Abraham. It wasn't an equal terms. Abraham didn't make a covenant with God as much as God simply made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord moved through the blood between the carcasses himself and met Abraham on the other side. I'm going to quote you something from a book that I've got. The notes are there if you want them afterwards. A guy called Ray Vandalan wrote this. I love this. Think of it. Almighty God walked barefoot in the form of a blazing torch through a pool of blood. When God made covenant with his people, he did something no human being would ever have considered doing. 
In the usual blood covenant, each party was responsible for keeping only his side of the promise. When God made covenant with Abraham, however, he promised to keep both sides of the agreement. If this covenant is broken, Abraham, for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price, said God. If you or your descendants, for whom I'm making this covenant, fail to keep it, I will pay the price in blood. Now listen to this. At that moment, Almighty God pronounced the death sentence on his son, Jesus. Let's move on with the story of Abraham. Abraham's promised an heir, but he's getting older. He's up in his eight, well up into his 80s now. His wife Sarai, Sarai, as she was called then, is now barren. She's postmenopausal. She persuades him to marry Hagar, her Egyptian handmaid, with the hope that he could father a son through her. Now, this was an illegitimacy. Jacob had sons in the same way, taking his wives, as, his wives' maids as additional wives. Such sons were not illegitimate. The question of... Uh, of marrying more than one woman is another issue. <laughs> Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, the son of Hagar, when Abraham was 86 years old. 13 years go by and Ishmael becomes a teenager. And God appears to Abraham when he's 99 years old and changes his name to Abraham. So Genesis 17. When Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I'll establish my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham, but your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you. Kings will descend from you. I'll establish my covenant with you as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to be your God and the God of your descendants. Remember, the very heart of covenant is that God is our God and we are his people. And to you and your descendants I will give the land where you're residing, this land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan, as an eternal position, and I will be their God. There's a lot of I wills there, isn't it? It's a bit like a marriage service. You know, I will, I will. God is swearing with these I wills, his promises. This covenant carried across the generations. God's covenant promises and blessing were for his descendants. Firstly, his son Isaac, then his grandson Jacob, then the tribes of Israel. The sign of the covenant, because the covenants have signs, we'll sum them up afterwards. These covenants had signs. Was circumcision. It's only now introduced by the Lord. God said to Abraham, 17 verse 9, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants and the generations after you. This is my covenant with you and your descendants, which you keep every male among you must be circumcised. You are to circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. This will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And he says on generation after generation, this is, it. This is the sign. If anyone male in the community is not circumcised, he'll be cut off from his people. He's broken my covenant. Now, circumcision is of no avail and has nothing to do with the new covenant in Jesus. But it was then for that. And the Lord also promises that Sarai will yet bear Abram's son and heir. And he changes her name too. And the Lord says to Abram, she's going to have a child. She'll be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will descend from her. Abraham fell face down, but he laughed and said, can a man, child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Can Sarah give birth at the age of 90? And then Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live under your... I've got a son. I've got a... It's okay. We've done it. We've... I've got a son. 
Is that okay? God replied, your wife Sarah will indeed bear you a son. You're to name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you and will surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He'll become the father of 12 rulers. I'll make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So that very day, 99-year-old Abraham, 13-year-old Ishmael, and all the men in that extended family and kind of tribal group were circumcised. Sometime later, the Lord is then visited by the... Abraham is visited by the Lord and two angels, two to the angels of God, who again reassure him of Isaac's birth, which is going to occur in less than a year. Now, this really was impossible. Abraham was even older now than when he had Ishmael. Sarah is almost certainly postmenopausal. It seems that marital intimacy had ended. And uh, Romans 14, 4 verse 19 says that Abraham's body was as good as dead. You can work out what you like from that one, really. But God is giving them a miracle child. And through faith, they've first got to be strengthened in themselves and renewed in themselves to conceive and bear that child. But Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. But now the true heir is born when he's weaned, probably age of two or three, and there's a great celebration of the weaning of this son. Ishmael had to be sent away with Hagar, his mother. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, Genesis 29. Ishmael, counting up then, is by then about 16. Interestingly, because he's called the lad, or the boy, or the child, but he's actually 16. So that shows us that the Hebrew word that doesn't mean a little baby, kind of infant. It means someone who's not quite adult, like a teenager. Some of our teenagers would not like to be called a child, would they? But that's, that's what the language of Scripture is, you know. Teenagers were still... Young ones. More years pass. According to most Bible scholars, Isaac comes to at least his teens, probably his 20s. Some even say the start of his 30s. Even though he's called a lad, it simply means he wasn't a mature or older man yet. Let me come to this next part, where Abraham offers up Isaac on Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem now, at God's command. Now I'm going to read this to you because if I don't, I'll paraphrase it and I'll get things wrong and I'll stumble. So, Genesis 22. If you've got a Bible, Genesis 22. Verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered, take your son. God said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll show you. Now, let me clear, be clear here. God nowhere else in Scripture ever talks about a human being sacrificed. This was really, really difficult, really strange, because he forbids it in the law and so on. So Abraham got up early the next morning, saddled his donkey and took along two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for a burnt offering set out for the place God had designated. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham said to his servants. The lad or youth and I will go over there to worship and then we will return to you. Notice that statement of faith. We're going to go and we will return. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. 
He himself carried the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, here I am, my son, he replied. The fire and the wood are here, said Isaac, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two walked on together. When they arrived at the place God had designated, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood. Then he bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar atop the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I read one commentary that said, it's as if this slows down so much you can almost hear Abraham's heart beating. Just then, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the young man or do anything to him, said the angel. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son from me. Then Abraham looked up and saw behind him a ram in a thicket caught by its horns. So he went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, which is Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh. So to this day it is said, on the mountain Lord, it will be provided. Let me just headline a couple of things here. Mount Moriah is where Solomon's temple was later erected, a thousand years later. And on one of those hillsides, in that same area, Jesus was crucified, 2,020 odd years ago. Some say that Isaac was the same age on that hill as Jesus was at Golgotha. But he was a dear son, and the only son. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice to the hill. Jesus carried his cross, or set out carrying his cross to Golgotha. When Isaac asked his father, the fire and the wood you've got, but where's the lamb? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Jesus is, according to John the Baptist, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isaac was stretched out and bound on an altar of sacrifice in the same place, the same area that Jesus was laid out and nailed to the cross. The Lord stops Abraham as he's about to bring the dagger down. Now the Lord knew he would do that, but Abraham didn't. In fact, Hebrews 4 says Abraham believed that even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. He set his faith on that, which is what he said to the other servants. We're coming back. If I've got to kill him, God's got to raise him. That was his faith. And he's ordered to kill a ram, which is caught in a bush nearby. God calls the place of that, the name of that place the, the Yahweh the provider. We're dealing here with what we call types. They're pictures, but they're real events in the Old Testament which happen to real people, but they foreshadow things which have a greater fulfillment in the New Testament, in Jesus himself. The, there's all sorts of pictures and illustrations in the Old Covenant. The plan of the tabernacle that God gave to Moses foreshadows Jesus, the New Covenant. The number of things in it, the way things are built together, they picture Jesus. I know, one day, maybe I'll talk about that to you. The Old Testament sacrifices given in the law foreshadow the redeeming death of Christ for us. Every animal that was slain was picturing Jesus going to the cross. Which is why... Now he's done it. That's put away forever. Amen. Worthless, because Jesus has fulfilled it. 
But even before this whole passage of Scripture, the real event of Abraham almost sacrificing his son Isaac for, for the, foreshadows God giving his son. There are many more examples too. And appearances of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. In fact, as I've famously preached a number of times, the angel of the Lord in Scripture, you've got to check whether that's a big A or a small A. It's the messenger of heaven, the messenger of the Lord. Sometimes it's Jesus himself because of the way he conducts himself and the way he speaks and the way he receives worship. It's Jesus himself appearing before his incarnation to Old Testament saints. It was Jesus who appeared and spoke to Hagar. It was Jesus who went and sat and had a meal with Abraham. Then in chapter 25. Okay, I should have done all this. The offering of Isaac. Oh, that would have been good if I put that, wouldn't it? Okay, let me leave that there a minute. Then the Lord reconfirms his covenant with Abraham. It's not another one, it's just another way of saying it and apply, you know, detailing it out some more. So then after he's offered his son, the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven a second time. He dealt with the, the ram thing. Now he's got something to say. Jesus, before his incarnation, is speaking to Abraham. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you. And I'll multiply your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Abraham went back to his servants. They got up, set out together for Bathsheba, and Abraham settled in Bathsheba. Notice those words what the, the angel of the Lord said to Moses. You have done this and have not withheld your only son. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And when it says give, it means he gave him up to the cross. Not giving him down from heaven. The, the language there is he gave him up. Up where? To the cross. That everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. The Lord affirms again his promise to Abraham. Your descendants will be many, fill the earth. And the New Testament clearly teaches that we Christians, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, boys and girls, who believe in and follow Jesus Messiah are the children that God promised to Abraham. We're God's children, but we're also Abraham's children according to the promise that God made to him. The covenant with Abraham is described as covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, otherwise known as the fathers or patriarchs. I want to remind you that Isaac was not Abraham's firstborn, that was Ishmael. Jacob was not Isaac's firstborn, that was Esau. God sovereignly chose the heir and successor in both cases. And in that, by that same sovereign grace and choice, we come out of being rebels, out of knowing nothing, to find Jesus. God leads us to his son by his grace. So we're today in Christ Jesus, adopted by the Father, co-heirs with Christ. Yes, it's through faith, but even saving faith is the gift of God. The New Testament clearly teaches that the offerings that God promised to Abraham are not by natural descent, but are chosen, elected by him, and reborn by the Spirit. <laughs> now that's all I can say today about the life of Abraham. I've left a lot out.
Think about these signs of the covenant. When God spoke, when God spoke to Noah, made covenant with him, the sign was the rainbow, a much misused and maligned symbol today. So, the sign of the covenant with Noah was a rainbow, that God would not destroy the earth by a flood again. The sign of the covenant with Abraham was male circumcision. The sign of the covenant God made with Israel through Moses was Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't from there from the beginning, though it's mentioned in Genesis 1. God brought the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the sign these people belonged to Yahweh. We'll go to Sinai and the Sabbath and the law next time. What's the sign of the covenant for us Christians? Thank you. Well done. Baptism. Not circumcision anymore. Baptism. In fact, baptism does what circumcision did. It deals with the inside. The New Testament sign of covenant is not circumcision, it's not Sabbath, it's not rule-keeping, it's not food laws, it's baptism. Baptism doesn't cut us off from our old life, it's an act that declares that we have died to our old life and have been raised to a new life in Jesus. People commonly talk about crucifying or dying to sinful or fleshly behavior. In fact, the Bible generally speaks about that as a done deal. You've done that, now move on. Because you have been crucified with him, you have been raised with him. Baptism portrays that as the truth. We say, yes, thank God I'm new, I'm free. From that day on, we're to reckon ourselves as crucified, dead and buried, but raised again to new life in and with Jesus. This stopped working. <laughs> one, two, one, two. Okay. Ah, interruptions today, eh? Interruptions. Okay. We're to reckon ourselves as having been at the cross with Jesus, having been in the grave with Jesus. And since he's risen from the dead, guess where we are now? Alive in him. New life in him. Amen. Baptism says it. We then get on and live it. All right? So when, when you th- if anybody says to you, you need to crucify that there, you need to put that to death, you say, hang on a minute, I just need to go back to the cross again and say, that's where God, God dealt with that for me. And appropriate the truth of that and say, this, I'm not going to do this anymore because I died to that. Yeah? Anyway, that's freedom in Christ teaching in another day. All right. We're going to go to communion in a minute. I'm going to say some things to you. We've visited today the Oaks of Mamre where the Lord walked through blood to make his covenant with Abraham. And then Mount Moriah where Abraham prepared and almost sacrificed his son Isaac, his beloved son, his only son, because one had gone away. Both of those powerful narratives are pictures for us of what Jesus did at the cross and what we now remember with bread and wine. The body and blood of Jesus. The covenant of grace was formed in the wisdom and love of God, the Holy Trinity, before anything was created. He opened that covenant progressively and, and, and you know, in, by installments through the ages but it reaches its destination and fulfillment in Jesus himself. By the way, there isn't another revelation. There isn't a new thing, another age to come other than Jesus' kingdom being fulfilled and we enter into it. He has fulfilled it all. There isn't another wave of revelation to come. I know there's prophets and people who claim it. I won't even pay any minute's attention to them. The revelation of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Full and final and complete. We can never get to know him enough. 
the face of Jesus. The covenant is complete in Jesus. We lack nothing we need in him. Just to go back over those two pictures again, so we've looked today in Genesis, those two narratives. In one picture, God walked through blood and death to meet us. He did that at Golgotha in Jesus. In another, he pictured his only son for us. God gave his only son up to the cross that we might have life in him. If you're a Christian, God has chosen us and sealed us to himself as his children, his covenant of grace, not by the bodies and blood of animals, but by his own blood and death in Christ. Every child of God through all history, from Adam and Eve at the start of the world to the last believer who's converted just as the world's ending, is saved from sin and death by this sacrifice of Christ at Golgotha. His body, his blood. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you trust him with yourself, your life? He gave his life for you. Will you yield your life to him? Believe that in and through Jesus, God has entered into covenant with us to be our God and make us his children. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll do this together. Father, We're so grateful to you that you were about your business of, of bringing in this covenant of grace, kind of in installments until finally it was all completed in Jesus. And now we rejoice in your goodness that bought at such great price. We think of that phrase that writer made in me, God walked barefoot through blood. And in Jesus you did to meet us, to find us, to save us. I want you to take a moment to pray your own prayer to him before we commune. We do communion together collectively. Lift up your heart to God and pray your own prayer. Make your own prayer of thanksgiving, of committing yourself to him, of trusting him maybe for the first time in your life. Say, Jesus, I want to, I want to know you better. Pray your prayer in this moment.